Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter four. We're going to uh, wrap up our summer series, fittingly wrap up our summer series uh, at the end of summer here. And uh, we started a number of weeks ago in chapter one, and and Paul there is writing this letter to this church that he's never visited, a church that was founded by Epaphras, um, and yet Paul has taken this church under his wings and, and is encouraging this church along the way. Uh, this church had been bombarded by... Uh, uh, a, her- a heretical teaching, these heresies that had come in, they'd given their lives to Christ out of a pagan background, and they started living their lives for Christ, and then, then some people had come along and said, well, that's not good enough. You have to start incorporating and adding these other things into your faith in order to be acceptable and pleasing to God. And Paul is calling that out here, and he's saying, hey, don't listen to that. Um, Jesus died for you. He loves you so much he came, uh, he gave his life up that your sins would be forgiven, that you'd be set free, that you could have a right relationship with God the Father. And all of these other things that you feel like, or you're being told that you need to add to your faith, um, you just need to ignore those things. In a nutshell, that's what he's saying. And in chapter one, it, it begins by him agonizing. There's a, a verse there, it talks about, he says, I'm agonizing over you. And I got thinking about that, that, that word and how we agonize over, over people and over things and stuff. And, and the thought that came to mind is just imagine you're a, a part of a pro sports team and you, you pick the sport of your choosing. But you think about going through the pr- entire preseason, going through the entire lengthy season. And if you play baseball, you know that's a lot of games. Um, you get into playoffs and you know best of seven series and that. Maybe your your team is a basketball team. Well, you get you know four rounds into the playoffs and and you're you're okay. Game seven of the championship. You're game seven and and you get to the end. And it's not just the end, but you get it's tie game. You go into overtime only to lose the game. You talk about agony. Ah, is that just that feeling deep, deep within that all of that time, all that energy, all of that effort, ah, and you haven't realized the goal. Well, this is kind of the feeling that Paul has for this church. The, the, the investment of time and energy, and he knows the work that God's doing here, and yet this church hasn't quite reached that place of of assurance and and blessing that he knows that they should. Why? Because they're they're caught up in all of these other heresies, this heretical teaching that's going on. And they've been diverted away from the goal. It's almost like Jim McKay back in the 70s in Wide World of Sports on ABC. The thrill of victory and what? The agony of defeat. And so Paul is agonizing over this church as they're getting tripped up and they're maybe not to the extent of that ski jumper going down and wiping out on, on Wide World of Sports, but, but they're struggling and Paul's agonizing over this church. And so we, we arrive at chapter four and chapter four is, is somewhat of an epilogue. It's, it's somewhat of a just tying up loose ends. It's almost like you've written a letter or an email to a friend of yours and you're getting down to the end. Okay, well, we'll see you soon and hopefully you're well. And, and hey, say hi to uh, you know, my aunt or my uncle and say hi to your kids and hope they're well and having a good year at school. And it's kind of that 
uh, of a, a bit of a conclusion, and they're these random thoughts, but yet they're, they're tied together in a theme. And, and what I want us to look at are, are, are three instructions that Paul gives to the Colossian church in chapter 4 here. Three instructions that uh, he leaves them with in amongst all of these closing thoughts and these, these closing ideas. So take a look at, at uh, Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to look at three verses in particular. Verse 2, he says this, he says, church, I want you to devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So at the end of all of these concerns that he's brought up, he says here, I want you, first of all, I want you to devote yourselves in prayer. I want you to, to focus in on this connection with God and jump down to verse 5. The next thing he says is, I want you to live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. It's like this team that went to Belfast and that was their number one priority. Live wisely among those who are, have yet to come to faith in Christ. And Paul is encouraging the church to do this and I believe he's encouraging us to do that as well. We're called to live wisely in our community. We're called to live wisely as we walk out these doors for those who have yet to Surrender in faith to Christ. And jump down to verse 12. He then says, Epaphras, and as I told you, Epaphras was the one who founded the church. He's no longer in Colossae with the church. He's actually with Paul at this time. He's in, in close proximity with Paul. And here Paul writes, he says, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you. And get this, he says, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you're following the whole will of God. So following the whole will of God. There are these three things that, that Paul addresses. And I believe that there's some instructions for us this morning. The first one is this. The instruction that Paul gives to the church and the instruction he gives to us is a God-seeking life. A God-seeking life. That we'd seek Him and we'd find Him. There's this narrative in Scripture right from the, the fall. And we see as a result of the fall in Genesis 3 that God's people, those who are created in His image, they're, they're walking away from God. God's over here and as a result of sin... People, humanity, it, it, we are walking away from God. And yet there's, even in the Old Testament, there's an encounter that takes place. God pursues and God provides an opportunity and a way for those people to have a relationship with Him and a connection with Him. And what we see even in Old Testament is we see a turning from walking this way and a and a walk and a, and a movement back toward God. Well, that's amplified in the New Testament as God sends His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross. We have the perfect mechanism. We have the perfect way, the perfect solution to sin. And again, we have this, this turning toward God as a result of this, this uh, gift of salvation that we've been given, a turning once walking away, turning back toward God and this hungering and this seeking after Him. And this is what Paul is telling the church. He says, we need to walk in a God-seeking life. 
is, is, is being intent on, on turning and, and pursuing Him even as God pursues us. And how do we do that? And Paul proposes that the best way to do that is in prayer. This communication with Him, this, this open line of dialogue. You know, so many of us assume prayer is just this checklist of, hey God, I need, I need, I need, I need, and add to that you know, some pizza and a snow cone. But it's more than just the shopping list of needs that we have. It's a dialogue. And that's what Paul's proposing is that we, we open up this ongoing dialogue. And as a result, this is the seeking the Lord. Moving toward Him. Opening up the side. So how do we do that? How, how do we become people of, that are devoted to prayer? Well, one thing is to spend time. Spend some time. And you might think all of a sudden, well, Darren, I, you know, I don't have an hour and a half. I don't have three hours. I don't have nine hours in a day to, to devote myself to prayer. Well, uh, you can pray. You can pray. You can spend time in prayer. I'd encourage you, you know, before you, uh, you know, hop out of bed in the morning, before you grab your phone and, and, and scroll through Facebook, why don't you spend five, ten minutes and once again, it's not necessarily, hey, the shopping list of, hey, God, I got this on today. I got this. I got this. Hey, would you do this and do this? Why don't you just pause, even as the alarm is still, you know, or, or just hit, hey, here's, here's an idea. I didn't share this in first service, but you know, you got the snooze button. Boom. Instead of going back to sleep, why don't you just kind of listen until the alarm goes off again? You know, yeah, prayer button. How's that? The prayer button. Why don't you try that? If, if you're looking for, you know, an idea, hey, we just made that up this morning. How's that? Maybe we'll come up with a line of alarm clocks, the prayer button, you know? But once again, let's not make it so much of a list of things and wants and needs. Those can come later, but just listen. Hey, God, what do you have to tell me today? Speak some truth into my life, who I am. What do you think of me? Um, I, I'm going to hear a whole bunch of lies today. I want to hear your truth first. First Thessalonians talks about pray continuously. Um, does that mean that you know we close our eyes driving down the interstate? You know, no. Please don't. Or you know, dropping the kids off at you know the the big long story parents, but you'll have a line at the elementary school dropping your kids off this week, and you're just gonna have to wait. Hey, why don't you pray? You know, you can pray with your eyes open. I don't know who ever told you you had to pray with your eyes closed, but you're right. And you know. You can pray continually. You can just be having this conversation with God. Now, does that mean you can't have a conversation with other people because you're having this conversation? Hey, don't interrupt. I'm having this conversation with God. No. You can just go through your day. You know, you get into a long line at an elementary school. Hey, Lord, just pray for the person in front of me. I don't know what, what's going on. I don't know if they have a job or they lost their job. or, You know, you might be looking at an old jalopy in front of you. Fender falling off and two flat tires. And I'd say that's, a, that's an indication. It's time maybe to pray. Lord, I pray your blessing on this person in front of me. Maybe it's a, a Cadillac Escalade in front of you, and you're sitting there in the jalopy with two flat tires. You know, pray over them. Lord, I just pray your blessing over them. And you just never know what's going on. Remember, we just heard that. We don't know what's going on around us. But just focus in our minds and our attention on the Lord. And that, that, that's a God-seeking life. 
on Sunday mornings at the end of service, and I want to say this more and more and more, this is not the ICU up here at the front. Although if you're bleeding from nine different directions, we'll pray with you and for you in those ICU situations. But but I want us to, as a church, can we do something here? You know, as a pastor, this is not a place where we look at a person who comes up to the front here and, and we go, man, what's up with them? Or the fear that, man, if I go up to the front, everyone's going to be looking at the back of my head wondering what sort of screw-up I am. No way, man. This is a place where we you know, agree together in prayer. We, we support one another. We, we speak encouragement. But this is also a place where we bring our praises. Right? So at the end of service, when, we, when I say, hey, come forward for ministry, that doesn't mean you have to come limping and, and just, you know, on your last deathbed up here. No. And I think today would be a great day for some of you. Go grab your kids, come back up here to the front, and just have a prayer over you, commissioning and, and consecrating your family before you go out into the school year. So can we do that? Just be a, a, a individuals and families of prayer, but also be a church of prayer. And that's, that's a God-seeking life. The next thing Paul gets into is, is another encouragement. This comes as, as he's talking about uh, um, uh, living wisely among those uh, who have yet to come to faith. And I, I call it a God-honoring life. A God-honoring life. It's simply making ourselves available. It's, it's providing uh, that opportunity for our lives to be an example. An example. You know, many of us, we got, we got it all wrong because we think that, that this life and this world and this week and this month and this day is all about me and just getting through this day. Some of you, it's not about getting through the day. It's just getting through to noon. And then you'll worry about noon, at, you know, when lunch comes. But here's the deal, church, is your role in life, your task in life, your job in life is not to just get through the day. You know, God's already taken care of that. Your role, your task, your job is to glorify Him with your life so that others see your life and see what God's doing in your life and they're going to go, you know what? And something is going on there. And don't hear them say you're perfect because you're not. What they're saying is I see God doing something amazing in you that you couldn't do on your own. Why did, why did guys open up the door to these four in Belfast and say, you know what? Yeah, come pray with me. Is it because there's some super Christians and they had this pedigree of, you know, and, and, and um, these, uh, all these credentials behind their names and hey, there are these superstar Christians. No, it's because they simply made themselves available and they said, you know what? God's done something incredible in our lives and we want to share it with you. And that's what each and every one of us is called to do. You know, it's, it's interesting. We talk about seek, God's seeking. Uh, next week, I'm starting a series called Seek. We're going to jump into this a little bit more. How do we make ourselves more in tune and craving more and more of God? The second series, uh, in about four weeks, a month from now, we're going to be starting. It's called Love Where You Live. We're going to talk about this, a God-honoring life right where you live, in your neighborhood, in your work. And, 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 and is it standing up on a, on a soapbox and preaching across the back fence to your neighbor? No. It's going up and simply saying, hi, my name is. Um, what's yours? Taking it a next step further. Hey, what are some of your hopes and dreams? What are some of your aspirations? What are some of your hurts and pains and things that I can come alongside and pray with you about? It's what it's all about, loving where we live. And that's a God-honoring life. 
The last thing Paul talks about in verse 12 is he brings up Epaphras and he says, Epaphras and I uh, have been praying for you and it's really Epaphras' prayer that you would live out the will of God in your life. That you would live out the will of God in your life. And I call this a God-pursuing life. That the, the whole premise of our lives, it runs alongside seeking the Lord, but it's just this ongoing pursuit this ongoing pursuit, following God's will for your life, that no matter what else comes your way, God is going to remain central. You know, we go through life with these empty spaces, um, these, uh, these places where we're lacking, and we feel like we have to uh, work to fill those things. Uh, these empty spaces in our lives where where we maybe haven't realized a goal or a dream or that, and we feel like we have to keep working and working and working in order to to find fulfillment. Well, this is exactly what the the heretics were saying to the the Colossian church. They were saying, you know what? This emptiness, you got to fill with these other things. You got to fill it with knowledge. You got to be, you got to be full of, of all this knowledge because you know what? Jesus isn't good enough on his own. You need, to, you need spirituality. That's what you need. You just need to act uh, like, like a better Christian. You need to find this air of, of, of spiritual enlightenment. And they were trying to convince him that this was the way to find fulfillment. And Paul's saying, you know what? No. Because you will go through life with all these empty spaces and you will, you will chase after and run after and pursue all these other things in hopes of finding fulfillment, but your only true fulfillment will be in Christ and in Christ alone. That's where you will be fulfilled. And so he's encouraging this church to pursue God on an ongoing basis. Can I ask you, how are you pursuing God? How are you pursuing God? There are opportunities here. There are opportunities in in life groups. There are opportunities on Sunday mornings in worship. Uh, You know, hopefully uh, because you're here on an August Sunday morning, you're just not attending on Christmas and Easter, but there are some people who do that. And, and, and that's the extent of their pursuit of God. My hope and prayer is that, that your pursuit of God isn't just a Sunday morning thing. Hopefully you're spending some time reading His Word, filling your heart with with His truth. If you don't have a a, a Bible study or a Bible reading program, there are plenty of apps that you can download and it'll alert you. It'll knock you on the side of the head if you want. Maybe even give you electric shock and just say, hey, read. I don't know what you need. But... Start reading, reading Scripture. Get involved. Women, Thursday mornings coming up. Wednesday nights, women coming up. Men, Thursday mornings. There, we have classes starting up. Uh, get, have your kids here at church in, incorporate uh, spiritual growth into your weeks. Get to know the Father. Pursue Him more and more. And Paul's saying all of these things, all of these things are priorities and I want you to embrace them and I want you to, to pursue these things as you pursue Christ, as you pursue and put Him as number one in your life. You know, I was thinking about this and, uh, you know, it's a different set of values and priorities. Um, I don't know how many of you like to golf. I like to golf. I'm not good, but I like to golf. Um, PGA is on this weekend. I uh, see some pretty good golfers. And... Uh, I was going through uh, um, 
our golf bags at home and I came across this, um, this scorecard from Runaway Bay. And Dana and I played, my wife Dana, um, we like to play golf. We like to throw the scorecard away too. <laughs> but, um, you know, as you look at any scorecard from any golf course, you have the holes. It even shows a diagram of, of and there's a set number of strokes that you can have for every hole. And here's one, it was a par four, um, and I got an eight. No, wait, that was Dana. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, you know, you go through and you get back into the card after the, you know, you get, hopefully get the ball in the hole, and you write the number down. And it's amazing because you sit there and you look at the number that you're supposed to get, and you go, oh man, I failed. And then you go to the next hole, and it's another par four, and you get a seven like I did. And you go, man, I failed. And then you might get a par three, and then you shoot a three, and you're like, woo, yes, but then you get a par five on the next, and you shoot a nine. And so you're going through this score card, and you're filling these things in, and you're going, oh my goodness, I've failed. And according to this scorecard, I have. I've never shot a round of golf where I've succeeded and did what the scorecard told me to. Now, maybe some of you have, and congratulations, and I'll kiss your feet later, all right? Or pat you on the back, or I don't know, you know, just get some of you to rub off on me. But um, I, I can't say I've ever played a game of golf where I've, I've succeeded. And it, it leads you walk, walking away going, oh my goodness, well, what was that all about? You know, thankfully, um, we don't go through life with this scorecard. Unfortunately, sometimes we want to. We go about our day, maybe tomorrow, and we go, well, I messed up that day, I messed up that day, I messed up that day. But you know, just like going to the fourth hole at, at uh, Runaway Bay and I failed, can I, could you imagine if instead of playing by this scorecard, sorry if I hit a note there, but um, if I played by a different scorecard. And instead of allowing four strokes on the fourth hole, the instruction was, turn to your wife and encourage her. Man, I can do that. What if on seven, instead of getting a, a three-stroke the allowance for three strokes, if it just said, help someone in need. Yeah, I could do that. What if instead of five shots on the 17th, it said, why don't you stop and pray for someone? Why don't you spend some time listening to the Lord? You see where I'm getting? Because we get thinking that life is this scorecard. I got to do, I got to be, I got I to gotta incorporate this, I got to get this accomplished. I gotta, and God's saying, you know what, let's, let's put this aside and let's, let's work on my scorecard. The priorities that I have for you, because all of the doing and that, that doesn't get you favor with me. What gets you favor with me is my son who died on a cross. So we get that out of the way. Not that we get it out of the way, but hey, let's, let's just, you know, accept that. 
But then let's get on to what life is really about. It's a God-seeking life. It's a God-honoring life. It's a God-pursuing life. Would you just allow Him to fill you? Allow Him to be your all in all. Allow Him to be what you pursue. Leave you with this. This morning I'm sitting out on my back porch and there's probably eight or ten deer out in our backyard. Maybe about 20 feet. I had to kind of tiptoe out so they wouldn't see me and they, they stick their heads up in their ears and I just kind of sit down and I just watch them. I was just asking the Lord. I said, Lord, what's, what's, the, what's the message? What's the picture you want us to have this morning as a church? What's the picture you want me to have as, as your son? <laughs> as if I doubt God. You know, I'm trying to conjure up all these things. Maybe I could tell this story. Maybe I could give this illustration and then I'm just watching these deer. You know what the Lord said? He said, the deer aren't responsible for mowing the lawn. The deer aren't responsible for planting the grass. The deer aren't responsible for making sure the timers on the irrigation system is just right. The deer's responsibility is to come and lie down in green pastures and just be, just enjoy, enjoy Him. Can we do that? Can we just enjoy Him and let God take care of what He has to take care of? And just kind of hang out with Him. Allow our lives to be a, a witness for those in our community, but it's not in what we do. It's not even who we are other than the fact that we're children of God. Would you bow your heads and pray?